Chapter 2 of Cowboy Life on the Sidetrack. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Dale Latham. Cowboy Life on a Sidetrack by Frank Benton. Chapter 2 Chuckwagon's Dream. He said he dreamed he was in a deep, narrow canyon, and it seemed to be a very hot day, as he thought he walked in the broiling sun for miles and miles, his mouth and throat parched with thirst and his eyes almost bursting from their sockets with the heat, when all at once he heard the low mutterings of thunder, and he knew there was a storm approaching. The thunder kept growing louder and louder, and he looked around for some shelter and discovered a narrow crevice in the rocks. Just as the storm broke, he entered the crevice. He hadn't no more than got inside when he saw a wild animal approaching the same place of refuge. It was bigger than any two grizzly bears he ever saw in his life, but was black with white stripes down its back, had a large bushy tail, and he knew he was up against the biggest skunk the world had ever known. And trembling with horror, he crept farther and farther back into the crevice till he was stopped by a stream of red molten fire that seemed to be flowing across his path in the mountain. He was about to retreat, but as he turned to retrace his steps, the immense jumbo skunk was coming in the crevice backwards, with its enormous tail reared over its back, and while the crevice seemed only just large enough for him, yet this animal had a way of flattening himself out, while he was a great deal taller than before, yet did he keep forcing himself gradually back towards poor Chuck. Chuckwagon said that he knew that if the skunk was disturbed, he would discharge the terrible effluvia that is known the world over. Yet the heat from the molten stream of fire was so great that it burned his face, and he was obliged to keep it turned towards the skunk. Finally, the animal had backed so far that the top of Chuckwagon's head was just under the root of the skunk's tail. Then something commenced to annoy the animal in front, and it started to back a little further. It was then he gave that despairing, blood-curdling, soul-freezing yell that woke us up, and he said he could still smell the awful effluvia, even now that he was awake. But we told him it was just the heat of the car and the perfume that Jack Doe and the two sheepmen had. We now discovered that the train was in motion. We were in doubt a long time, but after marking fence posts, setting up a line of sticks and testing it by all the known devices, we became convinced that it was really a fact. And when there was no longer any doubt left in our minds, we fell on each other's necks and sobbed for joy. We tapped four fresh bottles in succession to celebrate the event and shook one another's hands repeatedly. But alas, in the midst of our rejoicing, we came to a sidetrack. It seems to be one of the rules of railroading to never pass a sidetrack with the stock train till you find out whether that particular train will fit that sidetrack. This sidetrack was 2,125 feet and 223 inches long, and our train just fit it like it had been made for a purpose. If our train had been three feet longer, it would have been too long for this sidetrack. And we had a long heated argument whether the train had been made for this sidetrack or 
the sidetrack designed for this special train but anyway i never saw a better fit and it shows what mechanical heads railroad men have got we became attached to this sidetrack and for a long time we had the sole use of it we held it against all comers trains of empty cars going west gravel cars and even hand cars but finally had to leave it and it was with the feelings of sadness and regret that we at last had to bid it goodbye although we had many sidetracks afterwards yet as this one was the first we had entirely to ourselves we hated to give it up and our eyelashes were wet with unshed tears as we blew the last kisses from our fingertips when it slowly faded from our sight around the narrow bend in the roadbed how long it remained true to us we never knew probably not long as it was a lonely spot and undoubtedly was occupied by another stock train as soon as we were out of sight while at this sidetrack we took a stroll over the hills one day and found a sage hen's nest with an old hen sitting dillbury ike slipped up grasped her by the tail and in her struggle to free herself she lost all of her tail feathers and got away dillbury tied a string around the tail feathers and took them along this as it turned out afterwards was very fortunate as we were able by the feathers to settle a dispute that might have led to serious consequences which happened this way sometime after the sage hand episode while we were waiting on a sidetrack one day for a gravel train going west and having had nothing to eat for a long time but mustard on ice we had become very much discouraged and had even tried to buy Cotswold Canvasback's coat to make soup of, when Jack Doe discovered a flock of half-grown young sage chickens feeding long past the train, and immediately we were all out, filled our hats with rocks and commenced to knock them over. We managed to kill the most of them, along with the old mother bird, and made the startling discovery that she had lost her tail feathers. We showed her to the division superintendent, who came along in his private car just then and stopped to explain some of the delays on our run and told him the story of dillbury pulling out the tail when she was setting the superintendent argued it couldn't be the same hen but when dillbury got the bunch of tail feathers they just fitted the holes in that old poor bird's rump and that settled the dispute there was another little incident occurred afterwards that shows the world isn't so large after all one day while we were waiting on a sidetrack a mud turtle came strolling by and as jack doe had suggested turtle soup for old chuck wagon who by the way had been feeling bad ever since the night he had the skunk dream not being able to keep anything on his stomach we captured the turtle and on examining a peculiar mark on the back of its shell discovered it was dillbury ike's brand that he had playfully burned into the animal the day before we left the ranch with our cattle. End chapter 2